I'm your host Joshua Potts, Mr. Pottsable, always with the brother with the same mother, Aaron Potts, super hot Potts, and one of your favorite two black runners coming at you every single two black two. That was a good one. My vocals were on point today. My vocals were on point today. I see you. I see you. We hyped. We hyped today. We just came off a big podcast last week. We sort of had like, sort of like a, we were like in the twilight zone for a little bit, but we kind of back. We trying to get back on the rhythm and just, I just want to thank everybody for just sticking with us, bro. It's been a journey for like the past two, three weeks. And it's been a, it's been a weird, it's been a weird time. It's been a weird time, but we're trying to get back onto this regularly scheduled program. And just glad that you guys are here sticking with us. A few announcements before we get into this, we have a new Instagram page a two black runners instagram we're gonna go ahead and follow that just two black runners it's tight it's gonna be lit i think it's just gonna be really personal with me and aaron on there and i think yeah i think it's gonna be a really fun time so go ahead and follow that i don't know about the new running report page yet though but like it's gonna come if there's something down in the show notes go ahead and click on that so just go out and check out down below and also subscribe to our email list as well because just in case anything goes down you can keep up to date on our email list on our website go ahead subscribe to that to subscribe to us on youtube because aaron bro we're gonna be at the sound running uh invite this this weekend and we're gonna do some other cool stuff on youtube like a lot is going down on youtube and they need to subscribe there like for real for real yeah and like i was just thinking when you were making all these announcements right announcements right now i was like dang like okay like we got a lot going on like we really we're really doing something out here we really do we really do and like with all this like we're still fitting in these guests we're almost a we're almost a 52, but with that being said, bruh, let's just get into it. Like, honestly, let's get into it. We have a great guest today. She's the reason you clicked on this podcast today. She's the founder of Harlem Run. She's the co-chair of Running Industry Diversity Collective, the director of sports advocacy at Wazell. She does so many things for the running community, for the black community. She kind of just spews out black girl magic, black girl mom magic, black girls run, everything that you could think of. Allison Desir is on the Two Black Runners podcast. Podcast. This is hype. This is hype. Allison, how are you doing? Man, I'm doing even better with that intro. I, I'm excited <laughs> to be here. Thank you both for having me. Yeah, super excited to have you on today, Allison. Like Joshua said, you were someone that I we kind of discovered this year with just all the crazy things in the world that was just going on. But can you briefly just describe, you know, we may have some new viewers that haven't heard of you. Can you describe like what you what you do for a, a living yeah so um i don't get paid for this first thing that i'm gonna say but i am a mom <laughs> and you're gonna hear my son in the background that is the most difficult uh time consuming rewarding job <laughs> i have right now um i'm also the director of sports advocacy at wazell as you mentioned wazell is a women's clothing brand by women for women and i just joined that position about a month ago. Um, I also am the founder of different run communities, Harlem Run, Run for All Women, really interested in creating inclusive communities for black and brown folks. And I'm also the co-chair of the Running Industry Diversity Coalition, which is a new coalition that was established to look at how can we make the running industry more inclusive and equitable, right? Like I know we're going to get into it on this podcast, but the ways that Running as a black person is different in terms of safety and comfort and how you're seen. So what can the industry do to um, to make sure that's not a problem? Yeah, no. And that that is a whole lot on it. And first and first and foremost, just being a mom on top of like the four four or three different things you just named is insane. And I just feel like you're an inspiration to so many people in the running world and me and Joshua being like, we come more so from like, you know, the track and field, like growing up during, during the sport. So the, when I discovered you like this past year, I was like, I didn't even know like this Dang. like side, side of, of running really existed. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to like, really like dive in and just learn a lot, a little bit more about that. Yeah. I remember seeing you at the Olympic trials. Uh, that's when we first met last year back when people could hang out <laughs> yes 
Like we're just a, we're just about a year. We're yeah. just about a year past that. So that, it's that's crazy to think yeah. about. Yeah. And then one more thing, like just picking back on all from from last year. Definitely, like I just realized how much of how much people because usually because I'm I'm also a a. a I view Let's Run a lot sometimes. I be on there at times. And like people, the term like hobby jogger like comes up a lot. And I'm all like, after like seeing you and other people over this past year, I'm like, man, it seems kind of cool to be a hobby jogger. You know, <laughs> like you can do a lot of things and a lot of things can come from it. And I think we've seen that this year, just the power of what like a hobby jogger has on the running culture, especially from the things that you did last year. But like, what was just, cause last year was crazy, 2020. And coming into this year, it still has been kind of rocky, but we're kind of getting through it. But from last year, like, what's one thing that you took away from 2020, good or bad, that has propelled you into this year? Hmm. You know, 2020 for me was really, you know, I, so I've been, uh, it's funny, the term hobby jogger, but I've been, you know, I've been running. Uh, I started in, in growing up, I was a 400 meter runner and um, did some track and field, but I started running long distance about 10 years ago now. Uh, and I've always used my voice and uh, sort of brought together the activism piece and the community piece. But 2020 was really a year where I saw the power of my voice and the importance of not being quiet, right? Like I, I saw that when there's an opportunity to take a risk and to say something that might not go over well, but it really matters and it's really important to you, you got to do it. So I think that's the biggest lesson that I learned from 2020. And, um, yeah, I hope that that's, that's, you know, it's, it's scary to, to go out on a limb, mm-hmm. but I, but I, I, I hope that that's something that I continue to do. Yeah. And since, since you, you're talking about going out on a limb, um, taking risks, like one of the first things that I really saw you do, and I know you've been doing work before this was when you called out, uh, runner's world for the lack of diversity in, in their, uh, covers. Yeah. And that was. That was crazy to me. You you did that whole letter and you posted on Instagram and that was like the first time like I really felt like you I really feel like you were like the catalyst for this huge change that we've seen in the in the running community. Like what went into your mind and to make that decision like to do all this research and um to call out a big platform like Runner's World. Yeah, you know, I think one thing that that it's a huge piece of this is me becoming a mother and um, having having Corey made me realize one how short life is right like once you have a child you realize like oh snap one day I'm not gonna be here right like life gets mm-hmm. gets shorter and I realized that um, I really want to do everything that I can to make this world better for my son and if if I see something that doesn't vibe with me if I see something that um, that could be potentially hurtful to my son. Like I have to say something, right? So just looking at, um, you know, I, I was, I feel like when I wrote that, so initially I wrote an email to, um, Jeff Dengate at runner's world. And then I was like, you know what? He might get this email and he might not pay any attention to it. But if I share this on social media, I know that, um, it'll get the conversation going. So I posted it and I, I hoped that it would get the conversation going, but I sort of po- posted it and walked away from my phone. I came back yeah. an hour later and I was like, whoa, <laughs> right? Like this thing is really going viral. And to your point, I think it was like, I'm not the first person to, to see this. I'm not the first person to ever think, wow, the running industry really doesn't uplift black voices or showcase black folks on covers or you know, we're not in positions of power in the running industry, but it was really the the timing of calling attention to it. And um, yeah, I, I really do think it was a big catalyst in shifting uh, media from this past year. Was that before the um, Ahmed Aubrey um, murder or was that after? I feel like it was before. I think that was before. It's so, you know, 2020 for everybody is like such a blur. I think that was before um, um, because the Ahmad, when I spoke out about Ahmad Arbery, that was March or April. Again, my times are completely, completely <laughs> it's off. All, it's, it's all a blur. Um, but yeah, like, like I said before, right, 2020 was really about finding my, uh, or not finding my voice, but knowing the power of my voice and um, taking those risks. So both of those were huge risks in terms of like, once you say something like that, the trolls start coming and you know, 
people started trying to dig into you and all of that. But it was just both of those things and so many other things that, that I work on um, are worth the risk. Like in the middle of those two times of the runner's world, calling them out and with Ahmaud Arbery, I feel like we also saw, we saw a shift in the world, but we, I feel like we saw like a complete shift in the running world as well, where people have tried to become more aware in every type of way where it is to raise sexuality or anything like that, where people are trying to come more together. What have you noticed so much from since from 2020, what like March, April since then to now that has shifted so much in our little space and running? Yeah, I think that the overwhelmingly it's been a positive reaction, right? Like overwhelmingly folks in the running industry um, are realizing like, oh, wow, um, whiteness really is centered in the running industry, right? Like, you're, I know you're a cross-country athlete, right? Like, when you go to yeah. cross-country events, it's, like, largely white people, <laughs> white kids yeah. running. The, the coaches are all white, right? Like, then you look at brands, the CEOs are all, all white. And I think if you're white and you you may, like, white people um, grow up with, with a privilege where they don't, uh, they don't recognize that they're centered, right? Like that's that's part of white privilege. So I think this uh, this past year really opened up a lot of people's eyes to it, and the reaction has been positive. People have been really investing in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging work. But the truth is, this is as we say in the Running Industry Diversity Coalition, this is an ultra marathon with no medals, right? Like mm-hmm. we, this is something we're the work that we're doing now is on the shoulders of folks of our ancestors who were protesting in the civil rights movement and right like so this is not something that's going to be fixed quickly or easily um because it's it's systemic um but i will say like lots of positive action lots of folks making investments both financially and emotionally and you know labor-wise into trying to figure out how do we make running a place where anybody can just show up yeah and and definitely like we were just talking about uh on the podcast just like a couple weeks ago how in running it is kind of centered like one of the biggest running figures i know from distance running that a whole brand was built off of was steve prefontaine Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's still like this he was a great dude but his dude didn't even win medals. I mean, you have someone like Jesse Owens, like that's like the craziest American story, standing up to Hitler, winning four medals. Like, like, it's crazy, but... Ted Corbett, right? Like in terms of long distance running, and I know you all are in like the track and Mm -hmm. field world, but Ted Corbett was like, like, he went to the Olympics for the marathon in 1952. Like he was running these... 100 hour races he established new york road runners he was on the rrca like you're talking about a legend right and why are there i mean there's one race named after him in new york no medals associated with it but why yeah like why isn't he somebody who's enshrined right it's only recently and it's because black and brown folks are not centered in these spaces but that's it yeah that's i always think about that too i'm like prefontaine like I mean, incredible athlete, but he was also only around for such a short time, right? Yes. And it's just like, I just imagine what would the running industry as a whole look like if it was built around someone like that. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like it would be completely different. You know, mm-hmm. that would change the people who are getting sponsored. Those would change the people that are working internally. Mm-hmm. So it's crazy how these little things can affect affect a whole industry. But another question I wanted to ask you, I feel like, I don't know. I just feel like it took it took Ahmed Aubrey's death to really like get the running world moving. And I feel like the running world is somewhat behind mm-hmm. other sports when it comes to this, which is kind of strange to say, because when you think about track and field, I mean, you think about Tommy Smith and, and, and them and all these protests, but we really don't, we really don't talk about the social movements that have been in running in the past. Like, this isn't it isn't new to that runners are speaking out right but it's new for the brands to jump alongside of it for some reason right yeah that's what's that's what's so bizarre you know like when i talk about whiteness being centered in the running industry it's not because black and brown people haven't been here it's because we haven't been given uh a voice or the 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 same shine i was actually reading a story about wyomi atias right now who was 
she protested alongside Tommy Smith. And it was an article from a year or two after she went to the Olympics talking about how she was unemployed, couldn't find a job. She had thought that her life was going to change, but she was essentially written out of history, right? Like she's still not even acknowledged for the the double golds that she won. Um, But yeah, you know, I think with Ahmaud Arbery, I think there's something about um, white folks and white supremacy, like people don't believe us, right? Like there are all these things like believe black women, like trust black women, trust black men. And it's because people don't believe us until it gets to a point where Ahmaud Arbery is shot dead or it gets to a point where the January 6th insurrection, right? Like we, mm-hmm. we know these things. Like it's, yeah. it, it's not unsurprising. <laughs> it's tragic and shocking and despicable that Ahmaud Arbery was shot. But am I surprised? No, <laughs> right? Was I surprised on January 6th? No. But white folks, many white folks were completely surprised. And so I think, unfortunately, it took something where a lot of like white men, fathers who I talk to are like, oh, well, I saw my son in Ahmad. And so it, it, it had to be that like personal connection uh, for people to wake up. And that's like a sad truth. Hey, y'all, I just want to jump in real quick and thank our sponsor, Tracksmith, for partnering with us. Like, it's really been a great time. It's been about a a month now with Tracksmith, being able to learn more about this Boston-based independent running brand and just how they're born from a desire to celebrate the style and culture of running. Like, honestly, it's such a great thing. They have such great clothing, and there's just such a great thing that goes behind it, what they do behind the scenes with their journal and everything in between with their Instagram. It's like so great to be partnering with this company. And what's even more awesome is what they're offering our listeners because it's really you guys for Tracksmith and Two Black Runners podcast that helps this thing go round. So what they're doing, they have a giveaway on our Instagram right now. You can win a $250 Tracksmith gift card. If you go to our Instagram, enter the giveaway. You just have to tag two friends repost it on your story and follow the two black runners instagram and you can be entered to win a 250 dollar tracksmith gift card that, that that's some good money at tracksmith that's some real good money the winner will be announced march 14th so you want to go out there and go do that two black runners that's the instagram get enter in and you may win 250 dollars but also if you don't want to do that you just want to buy from tracksmith as well you can get 15 percent off your first purchase of 75 dollars or more when you use the code culture 15 that's our code that tracksmith gave us because they love us and they love y'all so go out there get yourself some tracksmith and yeah, bro. Thank you, Tracksmith. Thank you to y'all. Let's get back to the pod. No, but Allison, I really wanted to talk about like the athletes' help that we've been getting, because like Aaron's been saying, like we're definitely more into the to the sports side, into the track and field side. So, what has been like having those allies, like someone like I, I remember, I'm pretty sure you were on Keeping Track earlier last year with Molly Huddle and Alicia Montano and Rosheen Willis, and also I remember talking to we talked got a chance to talk to Michael Johnson, who's bringing up some someone like Kara Goucher, who's been outspoken on Twitter and her getting backlash and stuff like that. So having those allies and even somebody like a Gwen Berry and Noah Lyles standing up for social justice in the sport of running, how much has, do you think that is a help into the movement? Yeah, it's, it's, it's so powerful. Like the truth is um, it needs, it takes all voices, right? Like, and I think it's, it's, it's incredibly important, incredibly important that you have, black and brown folks saying this and we need white folks saying this also right like it's Mm going to take all of our voices and in my position specifically like when i was on the keeping track podcast i was like losing my mind i was like i am talking with alicia matanio right like this person is is my hero but then when you come down to it when you're having a conversation it's like we're both black mothers we're both um in this sport trying to uh, make a living in different ways obviously we both really believe in the power of running and we both realize how our opportunities are limited because we are black women, right? So it was really cool to to join forces. And that's sort of like, you have like the top down, the elites, and you have the bottom up with me being like an average runner, community builder. And, and that's what it's gonna take because in order to pressure brands and stores and 
you know, races and like, it's going to take all of us saying, no, we demand more, right? Like, we're not going to tolerate this. Yeah, because thinking about earlier when we were talking about uh, the Runner's World covers, when that came out and, and you guys were talking about that and there was the movement, even people like posting their own covers of like a Runner's World, I was thinking about thinking about me and Aaron's, our own mom, because mm. our mom, she runs and she's been running more and more and more and now she does half marathon she low-key she be running a lot she's running a lot like low-key <laughs> but like <laughs> i've been thinking about her just the fact of like when she walks through a store and she doesn't see people on a runner's world magazine or just any or any just aerobic or muscle magazine of people that look like her but she obviously has like the example most of the times of like us at track meets, but she didn't pay attention to track all that much. She didn't even play sports when she was in high school or anything like that. And so like being able to 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 connect to something like that is something that's definitely missing. And like the opportunities, if she had that when she was younger, I don't know, she she low-key could have been a, a good cross-country runner. The amount that she running now at, at like 52, she could have been killing it. Like, I don't know. I don't know if, yeah, if the opportunities were so there for her. Cool. When I when I started running uh, long distance uh, nine, 10 years ago, I mean, I didn't know that regular Black people ran marathons, right? Like, I was like, mm-hmm. I know Kenyans and Ethiopians and Eritreans run, yeah. but I had never seen like a regular Black person until I saw my friend on Facebook. And that's why I decided to start running. So be and beyond just the representation, like, and not just because that's hugely important. It, it showed, like you said, it allows somebody to connect with that person. It also um, allows other people to, to normalize the experience, right? Like with Ahmaud Arbery, it was automatically assumed that he was like doing something bad or running from something. The more representations of black and brown people running, the less assumptions of criminality they are. Also, if you're talking about elite athletes, like their bonuses are based on what publications they're on, right? Like Mm -hmm. where they appear. So there are very real material financial consequences if black elite athletes are never making it on covers. Then white elite athletes always have this additional financial uh, win that they don't even have access to. So there's like, you know, there's layers to it. It's it's not at all a small thing. For real. Like it, it, it definitely adds up because if you don't look like that person that the brand thinks is gonna sell or people are gonna connect exactly. connect to then you're gonna be less likely or you're gonna be less likely or you're gonna have to do way more you're gonna have to do way more to get on that cover you don't have to we we just had Brittany brown uh a sprinter she is sponsored by adidas but she didn't get sponsored until she got second at the world championship you know, and it's just like, that don't make no sense to me. You know, and like, in addition to that, I was thinking about like with uh, with Alephine and at the Olympic trials and even the way like sportscasters and the way what they're saying as they're calling races, right? Like Alephine was like the underdog and wasn't getting the same kind of coverage as uh, Molly Sadell, right? Or if you look at um, Sarah Hall, who I forget what race that was, what was it, the London Marathon who came from behind? Yeah. But, but like the people, like all of that is important, right? Then the amount, who's, who's saying your name, who's telling your story, like all of, to your point, all of that adds up. And I think it's with women already getting only 4% of sports media coverage to begin with. Like we really have to think deeply about all the ways that marginalized people are not getting their fair share yeah it's honestly equity it's equity at the yeah. at the end of the day especially when you say only four percent it's of women is like shown as coverage if like most of that four percent is 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 white white women you know exactly and it's gonna be it's a it's a hard world out there it's gonna be real real tough exactly so is that like the practical mission of the running industry diversity coalition to be able to bring like programs forward and just bring uh, funding forward to like get coverage of more like black women or women of color and just men of color as well to the forefront? Is that like the mission behind it? So that's that's part of it. We're really trying to address the entire industry. So um, I'm sorry, I keep I see that I keep freezing here. I don't know why, but I think the voice is still going. So um, it's to address all parts of the industry. So it's to address media, right? So why uh, to look at the lack of equity in media coverage, it's to look at the brands in terms of 
who are the ambassador picks for picked for for um for initiatives and um, what do they look like? Who's in the C-suite of those brands, right? Like I, I read this quote somewhere that if your company still looks like a plantation, you're not doing it right, right? Like if all the power is concentrated at the top in white people's hands and the CEO and the board members, then you're doing it wrong. So how do we how do we create um, opportunities for uh, power sharing and ownership in brands? Same thing in the retail space. How do we speak with race directors, about making sure that there's access for folks to races. You know, sometimes races are, well, not sometimes, many times races are very expensive. Then how do you make sure that races are safe? For example, if there's a trail race in the middle of the Midwest somewhere, how are you ensuring that a black and brown person feels safe? So, you know, it's all aspects of the industry and we have over a thousand partners. That's what we call people who join, a thousand partners mm-hmm. uh, from all, all of those different parts of the industry. Yeah, and it's just crazy that this all like kind of formed uh, in 2020, like yeah. all these people kind of were awakened or they just felt empowered by everything that was going on and came together like within, with that one commonality with running, like yep. how has running been like a powerful thing for you in your life? Cause you're yeah. doing so many amazing things with it. Thank you. Yeah. So like I mentioned, I was, I started off as a 400 meter runner and I had dreams of being in the Olympics, which is so funny now that I like know Olympians. I'm like, I did yeah. not have the heart <laughs> to do it <laughs> like at all. I just had like a pipe dream. But so, um, but when I started running 10 years ago, like it, it transformed my whole, my whole life. It, it helped me with my depression and my anxiety. It connected me with community it made me realize that um, like running makes you feel uh, really small in some ways, but also like larger than life, right? Like if you, when you accomplish something really difficult in running, whether it's running a mile, a 5k, a marathon, you realize like, wow, I'm like really powerful. I can, I can will myself to do really difficult things. So the joy that I get from running and then sharing it with other people, um, that's, that's really been my, my life. Like that's how I met my partner. And I think in tackling something so difficult as systemic racism or like, you know, all these inequities, we all, we all want everybody to feel that same joy in running. You know, we all Mm -hmm. want a world where we can, where there are healthy communities, there's access to parks and roads and all of that. So I think that's really what unites us. And um, of course, we're drawing from activists in the past who've, who've always used uh, running and movement for activism. And as you said, like that, that word community and building that like running community, because like I, we already said before, like I kind of learned more and more about the running community in 2020. But like, I feel like I don't really, I, I'm starting to understand and starting to comprehend more what that running community is about. But being somebody that's been on a team, like a cross country team, or just mainly individual for most of my life so far, I don't really, it, like, that's just my team. It's my mm. team. But what's the reform, What's the importance of having a community once you get out of that team setting, once yeah. you're living by yourself or outside of college? What's What becomes so important of having that community, if that be from running, if that be I don't know, a, a chess club or a book club. What's the importance I mean, of that? Community? Yeah, it's it's everything, right? Like I feel like I'm like, listen, young man, when you get older, you're gonna see. <laughs> you get into this world and it can be a scary, lonely place. But really, like, you know, you don't have the same opportunities to be in like a team environment as you get older. Mm-hmm. It also gets really difficult to meet people and not feel like awkward about it. Um and there's there's, you know, there, there, I feel like the United States in general does not do a good job of keeping people active. So through running communities, I mean, it's like, it's like just being plugged into this network, global network of people who are wow. aiming for the same things as you. So like recently I moved from Harlem, New York to Seattle, Washington. I'm actually hosting a virtual run summit in a couple of weeks to get to know people. But like before I even got nope. here, people in Seattle were like, yo, like we're not running right now, but here's where you should, we're not running right now because of COVID, but here's, here's some great places to check out. As soon as we meet up again, like I want to catch up with you, like let's share stories. So it's like, it's, it's a, it's a global like family, you know? And of course Mm -hmm. there's differences and it's not, you know, every family fights, right? So it's not this like perfect utopia, 
but it really is um, in, a, in, in urban communities. It's like this, it's just such a nice um, entry point into somewhere that you might not even like you could go visit somewhere. I could go visit somewhere and look up that run club or run crew and run with them. So it's a really powerful, powerful means of connection uh, in a time uh, in my life when, you know, you don't really have these kinds of opportunities. You're not going to be on a school team. You're not going to be, um, you know, you don't necessarily run into people, the same people every day, like you do when you're in school. And that's what the running community provides for you. Yeah, and I just wanted to also touch on, like, so you said you started running because you, you saw, like, one of your friends that you could relate to yeah. going out there and doing that and helped you, like, just conquer a lot that you were going through at that time. Was there a moment when, when was, like, the first moment for you that you wanted to use running to do something more or, like, you felt like you needed to speak up about the mm. about the running community? Mm. You know, that's a really good question. So I started Harlem Run in November of 2013. And um, nobody showed up for like months. It was just, it was just me by myself showing up, inviting people to come out. And during that time, I was reaching out to other run clubs and crews. And what I noticed is that in New York, most of the leaders were men. Um, and I was reaching out to them to try to connect and collaborate. And like I was getting radio silence. Like nobody was responding yeah. to me. And that's when I um, and then a few months later, people started showing up. And I would reach out again to these other male leaders and nobody was responding to me. And that's when I realized like, wow, I'm in a unique position as a black woman leader in this space. Yeah. And I also realized that I wasn't going to let being ignored uh, stop me from doing what I wanted to do. Right. But it was like, it was a clear moment for me when I realized like the kind of space that I want to provide, like I want to make sure people like if somebody reaches out to me like I want to be responsive right like if somebody wants to collaborate I'm down but I was I was entering like at that time it was so male dominated and so um uncollaborative that uh I realized like okay what I want to do is different like I want to make sure that everybody gets this um the same kind of experience and things have changed in New York um but but very much in like 2013 2014 there was like this very competitive kind of spirit around uh clubs and crews um that that i knew i didn't want to be part of yeah it's crazy too like when you're just trying to you basically found this thing and you wanted to just tell everybody about it (laughs) exactly i was like you guys this shit is so good (laughs) yeah (laughs) and just like ah we're not really messing with you and you're like wait (laughs) what it's like go ahead joshua I was just going to say, like, like I, so I feel like that's similar to, like, what we're trying to start, too. Like, seeing what other running companies, what running media outlets have done mm. in the past. Like, I'm still like, bro, like, we can do this better. Like, low-key, yeah. we, can, we can do something different. Because I just mm. feel like it's not connecting to the audience that I feel like needs to be there. The audience that can mm. take it to the next level. And the same with, like, at, at times, there are people that ain't going to be showing up. But I, I like to tell Aaron about our podcast. Like, the proof is in the pudding. You just yeah. got to taste it. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> yeah. the Two Black Runners pudding tastes good. The Allison the Seer Harlem Run pudding tasted good. Like, you have so much. You made so much more pudding after that. And that's how I go Whoa. into, like, that, that <laughs> metaphor. I'm just saying, like, you've done a lot. Like, from Harlem Run, Run for All Women, like, you, you've had, like, so many different, different initiatives over the past couple of years, like I don't think that really started just from when you decided like I, I'm got got I just I don't I don't want to be ignored anymore. That didn't start then. Right. But like when was that first time when you're younger where you're all like I have to stand up for myself or like I have to mm. defend myself in this moment? Was there like a certain moment or something mm. where it kind of just shifted for you as a kid? Yeah, that's a really good question, and I've been reflecting on it a lot more now. Um, but I realized that there was always that there was always that piece of me that, um, like you said, like wanted to stand up for myself, use my voice. There's a, something that I think about um, that happened in fifth grade. And it was this, I've mentioned this story a few times, but it was this project that we had to do. The town that I lived in was celebrating its 100th anniversary. So we were given this assignment to like go to the library. And it was like our first time going to the library to do research and talk about something related to the town's history. So everybody, all the kids, like, were doing, like, little projects, little silly projects. And as I was looking through pictures from 
uh, from the 1950s of my town, I realized that everybody in the photos was white, right? Like there were photos of uh, white kids at school, white kids at the library, white kids playing sport. And I thought to myself, mm. where are all the black people? <laughs> so my, yeah. my project, what I did is I made a poster project of pictures from Teaneck, the town that I grew up with, uh, grew up in, like the history of Teaneck with all these pictures of white people. And then I went around in like, whatever, 1995 and took pictures of all my classmates and at the library in the same places. And it had all these diverse spaces. And I said, what's wrong with these pictures? Right. So from a very young age, I was always really I was always really seeing things from a racial and critical lens. I was always saying the thing that was like kind of uncomfortable. I remember my teacher being like, well, this isn't really the direction I thought this was going to go. I was like running for class president. I remember um, we had to do an exercise in high school about like writing an MLK speech. And my whole speech, I went to this private school, mostly white folks. And my whole speech was about how my experience at that high school was feeling like I, as one of the few black people, had to speak as a representative of every single black person in the world and how that um, that was not in line with what Martin Luther King, uh, mm-hmm. what he spoke about, right? So yeah, I was always like, kind of like that troublemaker, but the person to use my voice and, um, and so good call on that, Joshua. Like that's exactly the same energy that I brought to Harlem Run and, and all of these initiatives. Like, oh wait, I can do something about that. Oh wait, I can use my voice here. And the more yeah. you do it, it doesn't get easier, but you get more comfortable doing it and you can take on bigger challenges. Was that well-received? Like when you first off as a kid, was it well-received? And has there been times to where like it kind of hurts you, like the response that you got back and you felt like, dang, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Did you ever go through struggles like that? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, my parents, so um, I'm first generation American. My father was from Haiti, my mother from Colombia. And so at home, I was always told these stories my father was always telling stories about the Haitian revolution and about, you know, how brave these enslaved folks were that they, you know, rebelled and established the first black Republic. And then not only that, they took the flag of the, they created the Haitian flag by taking the, the flag of France and literally ripping the white out of it and flipping it on its side. And um, in, in a show of like white people being out of the country, right? So I was always told these stories about like how powerful my ancestors were. And and then my mom is an anthropologist and a sociologist. So I was always hearing stories about the civil rights movement and all these things. So in my home, and that's something that is really important to me now as I think about raising my son, in my home, I was always supported and I was always told that I was special and like, that what I did mattered, you know? So yeah, yeah, there was definitely pushback. People were like, "Mm, you're kind of (laughs) weird. Like, and why are you always causing a problem? But my parents were like, this is, this is what you were born to do, you know? Yeah. (laughs) That's dope. Yeah. And I was just thinking too, like that really is the reality for most black folk. Like you're going to be, you're going to be somewhere where you are the minority or where people are going to just assume that you're going to conform. Yep. Even when it doesn't like fit to what you what you want. So it's really like, you know, you're going through the pictures, you're only seeing white folk. It's just kind of confusing to you, you know, especially especially as a kid. So like I, I, cause I I've definitely felt like that before. So it's just like Hey, I'm not trying to bring the mood down, but this is just the reality. Exactly. <laughs> it's really just the reality. Exactly. You know I mean? I'm not trying to start a fight, but it's like this nah. is this is off. Like, why doesn't anybody else realize it? <laughs> and then I was also oh, oh, go ahead, Joshua. I was gonna say I was also curious, like, who are some leaders that uh you kind of looked up to when you were younger or even mm-hmm. look up to now that really motivate you as as well? Because you say I think you're Definitely, how you were describing, you're a natural born leader, but even leaders need leaders. Even need leaders need mentors and teachers. But who are like some of the leaders that you look to, looked up to that also, who are some teachers in your life that really helped you through things? Mm. Damn, Joshua, with the good questions. So I think um, one person who, who's been really special in my life was, so in 
up until fifth grade, I went to public school. And then in sixth grade, I went to private school and I like fought tooth and nail. I was like, I don't want to be around all these rich kids. Like we were middle-class. I was not rich. I don't want to be around all these rich kids. It's going to be all white kids. Like I don't want to go, but my parents, you know, forced me. (laughs) And uh, Uh in sixth grade, my math teacher, Mr. Anderson, shout out to Mr. Anderson. If you're listening, he uh, is a black man from Jamaica and I was terrible in math. But he took an interest in me and helping me in math. And also he was the first person to realize that I could run and that I could sing. And so he, because I saw him, again, going back to representation, I saw him in this mostly white school and he actually like cared and uh, listened to me. He was somebody who I really looked up to and who I realized the power of being that, that friend or that mentor um, in a space where you feel alone. And a lot of the work that I try to do now is like, I I try to reach out to other, um, black and brown women, uh, around things like pay and opportunities, right? Like there are a lot of things that go unsaid in this industry about like, especially with like the influencer industry about like, are you getting paid for this? Like, how do I support my, how do I, um, how do I ask for what I want? How do I make sure I'm not being taken advantage of? So I try to, I think about Mr. Anderson and the way that he um, didn't single me out, but he he gave me that attention and support that I needed. And then now somebody who I really, really look up to is uh, Latasha Brown, who's the co-founder of Black Voters Matter. She is like a force. She is responsible for, she along with Stacey Abrams and many Black women mm-hmm. is responsible for helping to flip Georgia. Um, just like tireless work in the South in terms of voter registration and um, addressing all the voter suppression tactics. And she's also just a wonderful person who she says is guided by love, right? Like everything is going to turn out okay because of the power of love in this world. And I just want to, I look up to her in terms of her, her energy, in terms of how much she knows, but just how, how good you feel after talking to her. Like you talk to her mm-hmm. and you're like, yo, I could do anything. <laughs> and like, that is, that is such a power. Um, so Mr. Anderson and uh, Latasha Brown, two of many folks who I, who've inspired me. Everybody definitely needs somebody too. Like when you make it to these, to these ranks or these spaces, like to put on, yeah. put on the next person or, or tell somebody so they could tell somebody. It's exactly. just like, especially like, I think back to like running, it's like, bro, like you could run distance. Like it's, it's fun. Like it's great. We could, we could have a whole run club, bro. It's good for your health. You might live longer and you might, <laughs> you might be kind of faster than what you think. So there's a lot of, a lot of opportunities there that get closed off, but also just going back a little bit to the future with all these little, like, uh, not, I don't want to say little, but all these startups that you have created um, in this activism running world how do you how do you manage all of that and is there times where you need how do you know when it's like hey i need to take a step back for like my own emotional well-being great question so i will say that everything that i've done has been been because of all the support that i've had right like with harlem run there's like a whole leadership team run for all women same thing and i'm actually uh it's like great timing because i've actually stepped away being the the face and the the leader of many of of many of these projects. So with Harlem Run, um, my my pus- partner, my husband is actually um, he he manages it along with a leadership team of of eight other folks who are now those are the people who are on the ground. Like they're making the decisions, they're creating the community, and and that's really cool because I think there's something for me. Leadership is all about helping other people find their power to be leaders. And when you can mm-hmm. step away from something and it's it's functioning and it's making even braver and bolder choices, like that's success. With Run for All Women, uh, in just a few weeks, we're actually, uh, I'm gonna, uh, we, me and two other leaders are gonna announce a whole new leadership team that's gonna take over Run for All Women. So I'm in a place now where I realize I, I can't do everything and there are people who are qualified, have even bigger visions and dreams than me. Um, but even with that, like as a mom working from home with a two-year-old, almost two-year-old in a pandemic, I mean, it's just so hard. Like I hit you yeah. guys up today. I was like, listen, I need 20 more minutes because my son's asleep. It's like, you just, we, we all are doing the best we can. And I have to remind myself 
um, like working with a child without access to childcare with the fear of getting sick. Like this is not normal, you know, like we have to give Mm -hmm. ourselves grace. Like we are still, people are still knock on wood dying. People I mentioned to people in Jackson, Mississippi have been without water for two weeks. Like what kind of world are we in? Right. So you have to remind yourself, breathe and, and, and take the time that you need. I I totally understand that because I was just thinking like I find myself uh, being that position too where like you sort of just want to keep on going and going and going but then there is just some days like man I just need to step back and like chill out for a second and that's definitely helpful helpful like what was it what was like uh, this is kind of like an off question but I think it's a cool question too just like what was were you spending like a lot of time on your phone like what was some one place where like you're you felt like you were just dedicating like too much unnecessary time to that you have to step away from like me it's mostly like my phone like I have to just I've like put into another room and like okay I'm just (laughs) going to do like three hours today and even for some people that's a lot but like for me that would be like that's sometimes I'd be like scratching after a while like I need I need my phone but like is there anything like that where you got to put it away for a little bit absolutely same thing for me my phone and specifically Instagram right and I so Mm. in the month of December I took a month off of in, uh, of social media. And it's because, you know, so social media for me is really, um, I mean, it's such a powerful tool, but it's really like a positive space for, for the most part for me. Like it's, it's part of how I create community during COVID-19, right? Like in, in the absence of being able to meet in person, like this is where a lot of us are connecting. And it's also a place to share, um, to share and have really meaningful conversation but I just found myself like scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and then getting into a place of comparison and feeling badly. And and this is something that I struggle with, like feeling like I'm not doing enough, which, excuse me, might sound like bizarre to you all because I'm yeah. doing so much, but, but it's this, uh, you know, it's just like one of those insecurities that I have. And I was like, this is all stemming from watching other people living their lives. <laughs> like I need a break. So that... And then, um, you know, TV too, right? Like there's so many good series on, but what I realized, like time is so precious and it's either I need to, like, I want to be doing the work that I care about, or I want to be spending time with my son, or I want to be not doing anything. I want to be resting. Like I want, I I have to make a point many times to cut out like that in between stuff. Like, oh, I'll just watch TV to relax. Like, why don't I just relax? You know, but difficult. I feel that. I battle, I battle that too. Like, cause some days it's like, I feel like you just do so much. And so some, some days and it's just like, oh, like I just, I just want to chill. Like, you know, I've been working all day. I just want to chill and watch Netflix, but then you end up watching Netflix for like four hours. It's like, <laughs> it's like, bread. like you could have just read at least for like an hour. You could just, or just even just chill for a little bit or yeah. win an exercise, yep. you know? And I'm just like, is that, is is watching Netflix really resting? Exactly. So I want to put everybody on, and you you too, if you haven't, if you don't follow them, but there's this Instagram called The Nat Ministry, and it's all about how um, rest is revolutionary. And the woman who started it, she calls herself a Nat Bishop, I believe, but she actually went back and studied um, and looked historically at um, Black people, but Black women more specifically, and how we are we are historically the least well-rested people. If you think about when we were enslaved, right? If you think about the 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 amount of work that that we had to do either in the field or in the house and then caring for not just our own children but caring for, you know, master's children and then you think about yeah. living in a capitalist economy where you're told like work hard, play hard when you're sleeping, somebody else is working, like get on it, right? So like to nap and truly rest is is a revolutionary act. And as black and brown people, we need to we need to resist working. We need, we need to find times where we can rest and reimagine particularly if we want to live in a different world, we need to have the time to even conceive of what that could be. When you're just like go 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 go, you can't reflect. You you like I find that I'm like not particularly creative when I'm just like on to the next thing. So anyway, I check out Nat Ministry. I didn't do I didn't do service to really explaining what it's about, but it's it's a very powerful idea that taking back our time 
is an act of resistance. Oh, that's that's dope. That's dope. And I think the like the power of like reflection, I think that's like powerful. Be able to like even in the midst of when you're going like go, 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 and you're accomplishing so many things, even when you're at the top. Like a lot of people, I feel like a lot of successful like athletes, they said, Yeah, I didn't really reflect a lot in that time, but I'm all like, dang, you didn't reflect like a little bit, just a little, like you're the greatest in the world right now. Like, I don't know. I feel like I, I think it's just a great, great tool to be able to just like know where you are. And like, I started like journaling, like journaling has been a great help to me to where like when things are just going array to be able to like, to go to a journal or I try to read not not the best in the keeping keeping up with it, mm-hmm. but journaling is definitely a, a one thing I try to do. Mm-hmm. But one one place I want I want to go up with the pod real quick is just like you were a part of is it the Route One Hundred? Yeah, you were part of the Route One Hundred in in twenty in twenty seventeen, mm-hmm. and I was looking at that list and I'm all like, wait, hold up, this is crazy. <laughs> like there's like Sterling Craig Browns on there, Ava Duvernay is on there, Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> like there are some just is, is black excellence on that list and you were a part of that like what was what was that a like that's and so for someone to be like that a part of like the running community is even yeah. even bigger like what yeah. was that like to be to be included in the route 100 i mean it was like it was it was one of those moments speaking of reflection like i wanted to make sure so i was on the list and then they have like a celebration where they invite um the awardees and of course, Beyonce didn't come, but there was like, uh, uh, I mean, Common was in the room. Like there was like a dope assortment of people who, who actually mm-hmm. did attend. And that was a moment where I was like, okay, I don't want to just like, I want to actually like feel this. I want to be present and experience this. I don't want it just to be something that like I check off a list or that I don't, I don't allow myself to remember. And like, I, I try, like, I didn't really have my phone out because you know, when you're on your phone and you're just like taking pictures, you're not even really feeling it. Um, yeah. but it was such a, it's, it's, it's amazing to do the work period. And then it's like the cherry on top to be recognized for it. And, um, and that's, that was a moment also when I realized like, wow, people are watching what I'm doing. You know, if ever yeah. I thought that I didn't matter or that my voice didn't count, like it does count. And it's sort of, for me, it, it like unlocked, um, networking opportunities where there are folks who I met there, who I still keep in touch with i met like one of the mm-hmm. founders of girl trek who's just incredible and that's been a cool connection and um yeah you don't i guess like it's it really is it, it's cool to dream about like these things happening but that's like not really that's not really in the top of my mind because you're not in control of that but for some but when it does happen it's like a okay wow this is real <laughs> you know yeah, and to me, like the fact that you did all of this through like running as well, like as a part of it, like that's awesome to me. Cause like for me so far in my life, like running has taken me through college mm-hmm. and now it's like taken me into a career, like a job. And I wanna and it's like and we're doing like the running report, we're doing the podcast. So mm-hmm. I'm finding all these different lanes through the sport, you know? Exactly. And I know it's just gonna help me. If I, even if I go out of it and do something else in, in business or whatever, but exactly. to hear that, you know, you were recognized as a route 100 and you were through running, like, and people that's don't what, think that's that. why like I'm fighting for other people to make sure we have access, right? Like, because running and any sport, but, but running really connects you like to, it's, it's not just about like the deeper internal and like physical stuff that it does for you it's about the opportunities that come from it the people that you meet the ways that you start to think about what's possible like and everybody should be able to enjoy this you know so um yeah i can't even wait to see where the two of y'all years from now i'll be like i know the i met them back in the day i know the pots brothers (laughs) (laughs) hey i can see it already i can see it already yeah Oh, so I'm trying to be in the Route 100. I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be there too. That would be tight. That would be tight. Now but I know I think, it's possible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For real, for real. That's that. Hey, that's true. That's really. That's a good point, Aaron. That's a good point. Yeah. But I think we're we're kind of closing, almost like closing out. We have like a few like closeout questions. Just go through. Uh, the first one I wanted to ask was all like, because I heard this on another podcast, and I think it's a really interesting question uh, for you, like if you were given like a blank check or somebody to like fully invest in you and be all like, you can do anything that you want with it. 
like what would you do with it if that is something that you want to start like a, a charity or like do a documentary or create mm. a, a movie or write a book or a series of books mm. like the sky's the limit and what was what would that thing do to really uh produce in your life i guess mm. Really good question. So I would do, I mean, there are two, there's so many things that come to mind, but two things that I'll mention. So one, like I really want to write a uh, children's series, a children's book series. I have a book that I'm actually working on that comes out October, 2022, but I want to write a, a children's book series um, about the power of running. And, um, you know, and I'm not going to share too much because somebody might steal my idea. I want to write a children's book series. <laughs> And then the other thing that's like not at all related to running, but something that I'm passionate about is I would, um, with the money, I would bail out everybody who's like in Rikers Island or any of these prisons for these like small, stupid infractions, right? Like if yeah. I had money and power, then I would get rid of the bail mm -hmm. system in general. But if I, if I had the money to bail out folks, I think about Khalif Browder and like these people who these young kids who end up in prison because they steal a backpack or because they hop on the, they jump the subway fare, and then you end up in the system and it ends up ruining, if not ending your life. So I would really think about something with prison reform, which I haven't done any particular activism yet mm -hmm. in my life, but I just think about like, it's just, it's just so like, I can't even go there with my mind to think about what would happen to my, to Corey, if God forbid he gets, caught up in the system for no fault of his own and then is just left to rot you know so yeah if i had if i had all the money in the world and the power to come with it i would um you know i have to like i have to shout out kim kardashian who is not somebody who i thought i'd ever be shouting <laughs> out but she she is doing a lot of work around this you know she's shining yeah. she's using her her power um to address some of these these issues so Switching gears a little bit, what do you see as being the biggest challenge for the running industry moving into 2020? Yeah, I think um, obviously like COVID-19, I think is a, is a big challenge. And I think beyond just like, hopefully as many folks as possible are able to get access to vaccines. But I think the running industry in terms of just like restoring trust in people, like I feel like it'll be so hard if there were an event that was going to have like 5,000 people participating, which is like a low number, I don't know if I would feel comfortable. Like there's just a fear of being around large groups of people now, right? Like I feel mm -hmm. like, um, so getting, I think a big concern is not just like the logistics or people getting vaccinated, but just giving people a sense of um, comfort around of being in large groups, uh, a comfort. And I think it's going to be awkward, like, you know, like hugging people again and like shaking yeah. hands. There's just, it's like, we almost have to learn how to be social again in that way. And, and I think there's going to be a lot of fear um, around that kind of intimacy, right? That kind of like closeness and connection and running is really all about those types of connections and being close to people. And so I think, yeah, I think restoring that faith in folks is going to be, it's going to be really hard. And then I have a question as well. If you could have a dinner, like a dinner conversation with three people, dead or alive, or I've, I'll even put in fictional characters as well, dead or alive, and just like really just talk about life, talk about anywhere, anything in a dinner co conversation, who would it be? My goodness. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. Um, all right. Well, one of them is, is easy. I would want to, so my father passed away a few years ago and towards the end of his life, he had dementia. And so I felt like I was at an age, like he was already sick at an age where I actually was starting to get curious about my parents. Like, you know, like when you're, and maybe not to like be mm -hmm. like, Josh, but like maybe like when I was 20, like I wasn't really asking my parents like questions about like, what was it like living in the seventies? And what was it like, you know, like you, you, when I was younger, I still saw my parents as like, oh, my parents. So I wish that I could have a conversation with my father now to like ask him, what was it like being an immigrant, like leaving the country of your birth, not knowing English, coming over and like doing all the things that you did and 
like the racism that you face and then what was it like like he had three young daughters that he he left in haiti in order to come to this country my half sister mm. so i would just would like i would like to have a grown-up conversation with my father that i never had then i would love to have a conversation with um actually muhammad ali like i would love to like he um he just was somebody who gave zero f's you know yeah. so true to himself <laughs> um and then i would love to have a conversation with michelle obama um about not just her 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 power but also about like the 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 partnership that she has like what it's like to be partnered with somebody who's also so powerful but still stand alone right and so and, and it's funny because like the one woman I mentioned, I, I want to ask about partnership. But I think it's because living in a patriarchy where women and black women are not really allowed to shine, she has found a partnership that allows her to shine in her own right. So, yeah, I would I would ask her those types of questions. So those three folks. I like that. That, that sounds like a, a great conversation. We might yeah. have to get that on, on yes. the pod. Shout out to Michelle, <laughs> where are you? <laughs> Another question I wanted to ask, um, what are your top three favorite black sitcoms? We were asking this Black History Month, mm. but we're gonna ask it right now too. What are mm. your top three favorite black sitcoms? So this is so hard because Bill Cosby is so gross, but like yeah. love the Cosby show. Like I just love, loved it because it, it just was like, um, it was, I learned so many lessons in watching that show. And it's so hard to now look back and think like, you know, this person was so sick and abused so many people, but um, Cosby show. Um, then I also really love, um, let me think. All of a sudden I can't think of any other shows. Um, uh, you know, I actually, this is like really strange. It's a show that I, love to hate Moesha <laughs> like, oh, yeah. so listen, I love to hate it but what I thought was cool about it was that it showed like young black girls mm -hmm. and there was no show that showed like high school like awkwardness right yeah. so and then um speaking of awkward I love Insecure so I don't know that's not really like a sitcom but Insecure. Yeah, yeah. Though. Season yeah. four about to come out. I can't wait. <laughs> Dang, what's Lawrence gonna do? <laughs> um, boo to Lawrence. Like, he just, oh. I was so happy for them to get back together. And then for him to have been so irresponsible, like, bruh, come on now. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, just that, that episode was a shocker. That yeah. episode was a shocker. Definitely. All right, and a question that we ask everybody on the podcast is, who do you think we should have on our next podcast? Hmm. Any suggestions? Yeah, I mean, a few people come to mind. I would love to hear, I like can't get enough of Faith Briggs. Do you all know Faith Briggs? She is, so she's a, a runner, she's an activist, she's a filmmaker. She made a documentary called This Land which um, actually has like won a bunch of awards. Um, but the documentary is around a, a run that she did um, in some of the, uh, oh my God, in, in some of the, like around indigenous lands. And she, she really uh, ties together the importance of uh, environmental justice and um, indigenous sovereignty. And she's, she's just like an incredible, person she also um yeah i don't want to say too much but faith briggs i would highly recommend she's she's really cool she lives in uh in oregon now but um i knew her when she lived in new york and then one other person i would say is uh verna volker she is an indigenous woman and she's somebody so she i guess she's uh, these are people who are hobby joggers, as you would say, Josh. <laughs> but hobby joggers who are really making an impact. Um, yeah. Verna just has 
come onto the scene and really given voice to so many people who typically don't see themselves in this space. She's also um, on the leadership team of uh, the Running Industry Diversity Coalition. So yeah, Faith Briggs, Verna Volker. Um, I know you guys have like lots of uh, uh, other cool folks probably already in mind, but those are people who I always want to hear more from. Yeah, well, I always love getting suggestions just to like widen the scope of what the podcast could be. Um, but last but not least, what mark is the deep question, but what mark do you want to leave on running when it's all said and done? I want, you know, I want more people to feel like I made space for them in running, right? Like I want people to think like, oh, because Allison, like Allison helped blaze a trail or, or pave the way for um, for me to feel comfortable in this space. That's awesome. I already think that you're I already think that you're doing that. <laughs> uh, you. You're bringing a lot of people to the sport of running and you're doing great things with it. So Joshua, Joshua had to peace out for a second. His mic turned off. But Allison, we really both appreciate you Thank coming you. on with us today. Thank uh, you. And I, no, I want I want to thank both of you because I think, um, you know, I've I've uh, I know that you all have, um, it hasn't been easy for you all either. I've seen some of the moments that you've had on, you know, blowback on social media. And the truth is it's hard to be black runners in this space, but what you're doing is so unique and so special and so important. So I'm just glad that I could be here. And um, yeah, we're all gonna, we're all gonna blow up doing our thing. Yes, yes. Well, Allison, you now are part of the two black runners family. So if you ever have trouble with anybody and you need two black runners to back you up, <laughs> we, we right here, we with it. Uh, to everyone listening, if you listen this far into the podcast, we really do appreciate it. And you truly are a day one homie, but that's all we have for y'all today. Make sure y'all like and subscribe, leave a, leave a rating on the pod. And Joshua, I don't know, Joshua, are you, are you trying to tell me something? Okay, so we just so we'll catch y'all next week on a Two Black Tuesday. <laughs>